Thank you so very much, praise team. That was a wonderful time together. And thank you, Julie, for <clears throat> your very helpful words of explanation this morning and just your spirit as you lead. We're so grateful. Well, since NMU classes are starting tomorrow morning, I thought I would give the very first exam. And this exam is one question, and it's multiple choice. And here is the question. How many of the Ten Commandments are repeated in the New Testament? Is it zero, ten, or nine? The answer is nine. The fourth commandment, to keep the Sabbath holy, is not repeated in the New Testament. Now, that teaches us something very interesting, doesn't it? It teaches us that there has been a change in the law of Moses for Christians. The Bible tells us that we as Christians are no longer under the law for justification. Romans 3.20 says this, By the works of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. But also we are not under the law for sanctification, which is a reference to Christian living. Look with me at what Romans 7, 6 teaches us. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. Now, this verse is a summary of the first five verses of Romans 7. And what those verses teach us is, by way of analogy, when a spouse dies, the living partner is free from the law of marriage. So in a similar way, says the Bible, the death of Christ for Christians has set us free from the law for salvation and Christian living. We now live under the power of the Holy Spirit and His direction, as Romans 8.14 says, uh, those who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. Only the Holy Spirit can make us holy. But then stop for a moment. The fact that nine of the Ten Commandments are still repeated in the New Testament shows they still have value for us. And so we pause, don't we? What is that value? Well, as we begin Romans chapter 7 this morning, it's very important for us to see where we are. And here's a summary of where we are. Romans 6 is about Christians and righteous living. Romans 7 is about Christians and the law. Romans 8 is about Christians and the Holy Spirit. Now it becomes very clear then, as you just look at this summary, what is being taught. Christians do not live righteous lives by the law, but rather by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's very clear as we look at what's being taught in this summary way. But then we still come back and we say, okay, now what is the purpose of the law? Why did God give the law? If we are not now under the law as a way of living the Christian life, what does it do for us? And this is so important for our thinking that this morning as we come now to Romans 7, 
I want to bring a message entitled, The Law and the Gospel. At the close of this message, I want to show you, if you understand what the Bible is teaching today, you are way ahead of our culture. Our culture is totally, totally lost when it comes to understanding the law and the precious gospel. And if you understand what the Bible is teaching this morning, you are way, way ahead of where the culture is today. So let's open our Bible, shall we? And let's turn to Romans chapter 7. And I want to begin by reading verse 7 this morning as we look at this question, what is the purpose of the law? Now notice verse 7 following this summary. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would have not known what it is to covet if the law said you shall not covet. Now, notice here this morning, the very first purpose of the law is it reveals sin. When Paul says in verse 7, I would not have known sin, that is an excellent translation. You'll notice the word sin there is singular, it is not plural sins. Paul is not saying here that the law of God defined what sin is for him. That is true. We know it does that. But what Paul is saying is that the law showed him that he has had a sinful heart. When we come to the word sin, singular, in the book of Romans, as we have several times before, it means being evil. A state of sinfulness is the idea. So he is saying here, I would have not known my state of sinfulness had it not been for the law. As you look at the screen this morning, here is one very big difference between the law and the gospel. The gospel shows us our Savior, but the law shows us our sin. And we need both, don't we? We need both. You see, apart from the law of God, we think that we're doing really well. But when we look into the mirror, as this woman is doing here, our countenance falls because we see how really sinful we are. As you look at verse 7 this morning, you will notice the word known is found twice. I would not have known sin, says Paul. The word known there, found twice, means to really know or to feel it. It means to learn it through personal experience. We really do not feel we are sinners until God's law makes us painfully aware of it. I want you to notice as you look at verse 7 that one commandment Paul highlights to show us this is the tenth commandment, do not covet. He says, I would have not known what it was to covet had the law said, you shall not covet. Now you have to ask the question of all the ten commandments, why is coveting the one that he uses to make us feel this sense of sinfulness. Well, the Tenth Commandment appears twice in the Old Testament. 
And I want to bring up those two places to you because there's very, something very interesting when you compare them. Let me read the one in Exodus 20, and then you'll notice the comparison with Deuteronomy 5. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now notice twice in the Tenth Commandment in Exodus, the word covet is found two times. But then look at Deuteronomy 5. The first word is covet. What's the second word? Desire. Desire. What is Moses doing here? Desire explains what coveting is. It is wanting things that are wrong or are out of bounds and off limits. Coveting is wrong desires of any kind. And don't we all admit here almost immediately? I've desired wrong things in my life. So now what we are learning here is the real depth of sin. Sin involves not only the wrong action, but it involves the very desire to do wrong. I think you know that Jesus taught this in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. You remember He said, the Bible says, do not murder. But He said, if you're selfishly angry with somebody, you have broken that command. So think about this. Suppose that I get delayed at a stoplight by a slow driver and I find myself getting angry and I want in a desire to let that driver know what I think about him and under my breath I utter the words, you idiot. I've just broken the command not to murder. Jesus also said the second table of the law can be summed up in this way. You love your neighbor as yourself. So imagine one day I drive into a parking lot and there's only one spot open and there's another car also buying for that spot. We both desire the spot. I get there first. And I drive in. And I think to myself, sorry buddy. Sorry buddy. I've just broken the law, haven't I? Because I'm to love my neighbor as myself. And so what we're beginning to see here is what the law does is it reveals the presence of a sinful heart in all of us. On the screen is a headline that many of us remember many, many years ago. It was when the Menendez brothers were arrested for the murder of their two parents. And the brothers wanted control of their inheritance, and so they murdered their parents in order to get the inheritance. One killing was particularly cold-blooded. One parent was shot in the living room, but survived that shooting, and then began to crawl away. The son very calmly reloaded walked around the furniture, and finished that parent off. You can see what the chief of police had to say. I've been in this business for over 33 years, and I've heard of very few murders that were more savage than this one. 
All of us would say this morning, the Menendez brothers are sinners. We are not like them in any way. But I want you to think about this. The brothers were not guilty of just one sin, but two. The second sin was murder. What was the first sin? Coveting. They coveted their parents' inheritance. Had their desire not been wrong, the murder never would have happened. They were convicted of one sin, but in God's eyes they committed two. Now think of this. Their first sin of wanting a wrong thing is the very sin we commit many times. Apart from Christ, we have the same sinful nature as these brothers. Is that not shocking to us this morning? Yes, it is. Well, now notice how Paul here continues. Second thing he says about sin. He says the law stirs up sin. Look at verse 8. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. Now it's interesting, that little phrase, uh, uh, the law produced in me all kinds of covetousness. One translation of the Bible puts it this way, the law stirred up all kinds of selfish desires within me. Verse 9 puts it this way, sin came alive. One translation translates this, sin sprang to life as the law told me that I'm not to do certain things. I think all of us know that one word that a sinful nature does not like to hear has two letters in that word. Please spell those two letters with me. N-O. N-O. Do we not know this with our children? We certainly do. One word stirs a fight above all other words, and that is the word no. And what Paul is saying to us here this morning, that is true of us as well. A rebel heart does not like the word no. I want to show you uh, some trash and garbage on the side of the road in this image here this morning. Now you will notice a sign that I have covered up here and I just want to ask a very simple question this morning. How many of you think you know what that sign says? Alright, by the way this is my second test question here this morning. Okay, you ready? Here we go. No dumping Allowed. How many got it right? Can, now I have to ask the next question. Why did you get it right? Oh, that's your trash? Is that, is that it? That's your garbage? That's your mattress there? That's your tire? You know why we all got it right? 
we all know this is human nature, don't we? We know that when human nature is told, no, don't do this, it stirs up, it produces a resistance within us. Do you know what Mark Twain, the uh, author of, the Huck- of Huckleberry Finn, said about human nature? Mark Twain was not a Christian, but he was a keen observer of human nature, and he said humans are like mules. He said if a mule thinks it knows what you want it to do, it will do the opposite. And Mark Twain said about himself that sometimes he was mean just for the sake of meanness. And we know that's true. When sinful human nature hears God's command, we want to do the opposite. Think about some of these things this morning. You shouldn't play golf every Sunday instead of being in church. And what does human nature say? Well, you can worship God on the golf course just as well as you can in church. So who says so? Or you shouldn't underreport your income taxes. And what does human nature say? Well, they get more of our taxes than they deserve. So I'm going to do it anyway. You shouldn't get drunk on the weekends. And what does human nature say? Well, what's wrong with a little harmless fun? Or you shouldn't rebel against your parents and disobey them. And you say, well, my parents, they have no right to control me. And we could keep going and going, couldn't we? Who can say my heart never rebels against what I know I should do? When I was a student uh, in college, one day I was a student usher in an auditorium at a packed event. A pastor whom I knew and had seen him up in the pulpit in his church came in, and he was looking for a seat in this packed house, and so I said to him, wait just a minute and I will find you a seat. You know what he did? He pushed right past me and found his own seat. And I thought, wow, even pastors don't like the word no. And I'm going to be one of those pastors. You see, we all understand what the Bible is teaching about us. Now look at the third purpose then of the law. Thirdly, the law condemns sin. Look at verse 9. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me, for sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. Did you notice as I read those verses three times, Paul says the result of the law of God is that it condemned us to death. Verse 9, verse 10, verse 11. 
Do you know what Paul is doing here for us? He is using a Jewish idea drawn from the early chapters of Genesis called the stages of sin. The Jews would refer to this by this expression. And what he's doing is he's comparing the stages that Adam and Eve went through with the stages that he went through and with the stages that every one of us goes through. And you know the stages very well. Adam and Eve desired the forbidden fruit. They took of it and ate and sinned. And immediately they experienced death. And now the same thing happened to Paul. Look at verse 7 and 8. He says, The law caused me to covet. Verse 9, Because of that covetousness, I sinned. And then verses 9 through 11, I died. And it is the same with us. We desire what is wrong, then we do what is wrong, and we are condemned to die by God for it. Now I want you to notice here that Paul is not primarily referring to physical death because when he says in verse 9, I died, he was still alive, right? Of course he was still alive. And Adam and Eve did not die immediately physically either. They died spiritually. Genesis 3.8 says, They hid themselves from the presence of God in the garden. They died spiritually. And that's what Paul saw. He saw that his sins condemned him and separated him from God And we're in the very same position apart from Jesus Christ. Do you know all we have to do is read the morning news and we see these stages of sin over and over and over again? Uh, Here is Saturday's uh, morning journal. And uh, let me just point out one little article. Man gets life for 1998 slaying. After 21 years, this man confessed to the murder of an 18-year-old girl. He also raped another girl. It went unsolved for 21 years. And this is what he finally said. He said, my conscience caught up with me following a lifetime of petty crimes and drug use. He said, I hope by turning myself in and confessing, and he said this in uh, an interview, in the court, you will get the justice that you deserve. The father of the 18-year-old girl who waited for 21 years for that justice, said, God will deliver the justice.
brothers and sisters? That's Romans 7 in your morning newspaper. Desire leads to sin. Sin leads to the sentence by God. We all know over and over again that the law condemns our sin. Well, now notice the final thing that Paul says. Number four. The law horrifies the sinner. Look what he says in verse 12. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. What is Paul saying here? He's saying, look how horrible my sin is. Sin takes God's command, which is holy, righteous, and good, and because of my rebellious nature, uses those commands to stir up sin, which ultimately then condemns me. It's very interesting in verse 13 when it says the reason this happens is that sin might be shown to be sin and become more sinful beyond measure. The word shown there was used of shining a light on something to make that thing more visible. We have woods out in our backyard. And if you were to come out into our backyard uh, early in the morning as the sun is shining down, there are logs in the backyard. As soon as I were to turn over a log and the sunlight would come down on those hideous little bugs under the light, they would begin to do what? Scurry everywhere. So in the light of God's law, shines on our hearts, the same thing happens. The rotten wood is lifted, and the horror of all our sin is exposed for us to see. Years ago, I was sitting in Perkins' restaurant before it was tore down. And you may recall in the high peak, there were lights or windows uh, around the high peak that allowed sunlight in. And normally when I was in Perkins, as I am in any restaurant, I I thought, boy, this is clean air that I'm breathing. After all, it's Lake Superior air. This is a clean place to, to be. One day I was in there in the morning, and the sun was shining through the windows. And guess what I saw for the first time? All the dust. 
I couldn't believe it. You mean to tell me I'm breathing all that in? And what made the difference? It was the sunlight, wasn't it? And that's what the Word of God is to the sinner. It shines the light. So we see the depth of our need. And once we see the depth of our need, we know Christ is the only answer. Now I want to close this message today by a presentation of some people who are randomly being asked on the street what is sin. And as you watch this, you will recognize that if you understand what God has just taught us, you are far, far ahead of the culture that we live in. And so, let's watch for a few minutes, and then I'll come back as we close.